Well, good morning and a warm welcome to you all to Ladywell Baptist Church this Sunday morning. It's great to be together again and to worship the Lord, albeit in our individual homes. And as we come to worship this week, just a couple of things to mention to you. First, as a reminder of our Monday evening at half past seven drop-in cafe on Zoom and our Wednesday evening half past seven prayer meeting and Bible study going through Matthew's gospel together uh, and that's again on Zoom at half past seven. So please do connect in with those uh, or get in touch with us if you would like to know more about either one of those things. We also have a YF that's run for our young people, a youth fellowship that runs each week. Um, There's a YouTube channel for that connected to the main church one. Uh, And if you would like to know more about that, then please do get in touch with us. You'd be most welcome to go along and participate in that if you're a young person or if you're a parent uh, or family member and would like to know more about that, then please do get in touch. It'd be great to have you connect in with that if that was uh, right for you. Also, we've been contacted this week via email from Suzanne Marshall in Senegal, uh, who's out with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Just a reminder that um, that she's still there, that the lockdown situation that they're going through, as we are, uh, seems to be heading towards a close. But uh, just to continue in prayer for her and for the work of Wycliffe in Senegal as they translate scripture for those who don't have it in Uh, their own mother tongue. And so please do continue to remember Suzanne in prayer. She wanted me to let you know that she will be praying for all of you, uh, part of Ladywell Church, and uh, and yeah, just an encouragement to you to remember her as she continues to to work away uh, with Wycliffe. As we come to worship this week, we hear David's words from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, where David says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And as we come to worship this morning, we come in light of the miraculous work of the Lord on our behalf. He has saved us if we've called upon the name of Jesus, if we've asked him to be our Lord and Savior and has raised us from death to life. He has given us new life and life in all its abundance. And so we come to worship in light of all of that miraculous power poured out on our behalf. And so it's right, along with David, that we glory in the Lord's holy name. The reading is from Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, 
Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know what I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated four hundred years. But I will punish the nations they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed be between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a cov covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgasites, and Jebusites. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the way you have blessed us and watched over us. We thank you for your faithfulness, and we pray at this difficult time that we might continue to know your peace and guidance. We pray for our government, for Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon, and their ministers and advisers. We pray that you might guide them in the difficult decisions that they have to take. We pray for the scientists working on treatments and a vaccine. We ask that you might enable them and they might make good progress. Remember those working in our health service, particularly those working on the front line, asking that you might give them the strength and energy to care for the patients and we pray that many patients may make a full recovery. Remember those in care homes and ask that you might protect them from the virus. We pray for those who are anxious, for those who are lonely and for those with financial worries. We pray for our church, in particular for our community fridge. We pray that we might be able to meet the needs of those needing help in our community. 
We pray for our pastor Graham and ask that you be with him as he prepares for our Sunday sermon and our Bible study. Let us join together to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. How can I trust in God? Maybe that's a question that you've not asked of yourself. Maybe it's one that you've asked regularly. If you're a Christian, maybe you feel quite guilty about that. How can I trust in this God who hasn't saved my family members? How can I trust in this God who has allowed me to become sick? How can I trust in this God who has seen um, churches go through difficult times, churches closing, churches splitting, Christians who I've known and loved for years abandon the faith and, and walk away from all. Oh, how can I trust that God? Maybe you're asking that question and you're not a Christian. How could I possibly put my faith in a God who allows suffering and, and pandemics and, and natural disasters or whatever it might be? It's just too much to ask to trust in a God like that. And for all, it might be a difficult question for us to ask. It may be a question that we ask in a cursory manner as an excuse not to believe. It's a question that we should ask. And I believe is answered in Genesis chapter 15 as Abram goes through that struggle of, of asking, how can I trust? I don't see how all these promises you've given to me of being the father of a vast number of people, of a nation that belongs to you and worships you and you love and respond to and the blessing of people from every tribe and tongue and nation all over the world. How can I trust you when I just can't see these things working out? And so as we journey with Abraham through chapter 15, we find our questions are addressed also. Abraham begins by simply asking God to help him see. And it's where we begin. And I would encourage you, if you're a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian, to ask God to help you see in good faith, expecting that there will be some answer. In, in verses 1 to 8, Abraham receives this vision from God and God tells him not to be afraid. Now, I think he's telling him not to be afraid because Abraham is genuinely alarmed that, that God is addressing him in this direct way in this vision. But I think he's also afraid that he might not be the recipient of these promised blessings that God has given to him. Maybe God's rejected him. Maybe God's found someone better. Maybe God is just simply fed up of Abraham mucking things up and getting things wrong, and so he's going a different way with this. Abraham's worried, and God says to him, don't be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham responds, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is a laser of Damascus. All of the promises that God have given to Abraham, these great promises, all really hinge on there being a child that is born to Abraham and Sarah that will be the recipient of the blessings through Abraham and will continue it on until uh, the seed of the woman that we've read about already in Genesis, this one will come that will destroy sin and the devil and will bring a restoration of God and all people. So if I don't have the child that will see that family line continue, all the promises are null and void. 
I don't understand how this will, will work out. And Abraham simply asks God in that, what will you give me? Help me see. I don't understand. And God says to him in no uncertain terms that he will, that he will answer, that a child will come. Now, it's understandable how difficult Abraham's finding this, that he's desperately longed for a child, and he knows the pain and the frustration, the years of pain and frustration that being childless has brought to him, but almost certainly far more painfully to his wife. And yet, even in that pain, we know his household will be looking, thinking, who's going to inherit because all this stuff, this power, this influence, all of this wealth, this um, the flocks and herds and so on, all of this stuff is going to somebody. And God says, I will guard you. I'll protect you. I will ensure that my plans never fail. And we read that Abraham believed God and it was credited toward him as righteousness. Now, if you want a fuller explanation of, of how that works, then Romans 4, Galatians 3, James 2, Hebrews, there's a whole pile of different places that talk about Abraham's faith. But in Romans 4, and I would encourage you to read those passages, but in Romans 4, Paul basically summarizes it in this way. God made these promises. Abraham struggled to understand, and yet God reminded him of his power. And his ability to actually see these promises worked out. He says to Abraham in in verses 5 and following, Go outside the tent and look at the sky. Look at the vast number of stars in the night sky. That's how many your family will be. A number beyond counting. And Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. But God's doing two things. He's saying to Abraham firstly, Go outside and see. This is how big your family will be. I want you to trust me, Abraham. But he's also saying, look at the number of stars in the sky. Do you have any idea where they came from? I made them. Do you know what a star is? Do you know the power that had to be exerted in order to create not just a star, but every star beyond counting? How much easier would it be for me to create a human child than all of those stars in the night sky? Trust me, Abraham, if I can make all of those I can bring about a son, even in your old age, even in Sarah's old age. And because Abraham heard that and trusted, we find it was counted to him as righteousness. And what that means is Abraham heard and saw and then went on living out his life as if what God was saying was really true. That's what faith is, isn't it? We we trust When God says, I will save you, I've sent Jesus to be your savior, and I want you to trust, put your faith in him. You can't work up your own salvation. You can't ever make yourself good enough to know me and love me and respond to me. You simply have to trust, live out your life in light of the promises I have given. Accept them on your behalf. And when I say, come and confess your sins, you go and confess them. When I say, I want you to take up your cross every day, I want you to die to the life that you would have lived and live now for me, I expect you to do it. And as the two, the trust and the obedience fit together, so our faith is worked out. It's righteousness. It's all God's work. All of it is God's work. We simply trust on it. And so we are saved. And this is what Paul says Abraham did. 
Abraham has faith in God. He struggles to know how to believe. God has made promises and yet he still trusts. He asks God to help him see. And God begins to deal not so much with laying out a roadmap for Abraham to understand every twist and turn on the road between this point and the coming of his son or Abraham's future death or the coming of of the savior of mankind, whatever it might be. God doesn't do that. He begins to address Abraham's problem itself. The reason that Abraham won't trust, won't believe, won't have faith. And we find it transforms Abraham. If you have um, a problem with your eyesight and you go to the doctor and the doctor says it's a cataract, that's crucial knowledge in addressing the problem, isn't it? You, You can't fix the problem until you know what the problem is. But equally, that problem can't be fixed simply by knowing the nature of the problem. You then have to go to the surgeon and have the surgeon remove the cataract from your eye in order for your vision to be cleared. So it is here. Abraham has to have something in his life that's causing him fear and doubt to be dealt with, to be addressed by God, which is why God sends him outside. He doubts that God is powerful enough, and so God reveals to him very powerfully just how huge the universe is, and God sits over it all. He called it into being, and he he, he orders it. He superintends, as it were, over it. He, he keeps it constrained. God can do that. <laughs> what need you fear? He addresses the problem of Abraham's lack of vision. He doesn't necessarily lay out a plan at every point to show Abraham how God will do it all, because God will sim- Abraham will simply doubt all the way along the journey. So he begins to address the root heart of the problem, Abraham's heart. And we find in addressing that, Abraham casts himself upon God, puts his faith in him. He asks God to help him see and then has God work in his life. And so it is with us. This is the nature of salvation, isn't it? We know we need to be saved. It is revealed to us. We need a savior and we simply can't do it ourselves. And so we call out to God. And what does God do? He addresses our heart. He deals with the problem of sin within us and transforms us. And the result is what? We cast ourselves upon Christ. We put our faith in him. We live as if he truly is our savior because we believe he is and God saves us. Abraham asks God to help him see. But then Abraham sees what God has done and lives his life in accordance with it. Now, strange things happens in the next section from verses 9 through to 17. We find that God says in 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 beginning to address this problem of a lack of trust, he says, I want you to go and get a load of animals and I want you to cut them all in half, slaughter them, cut them in half and lay the pieces across from one another with a a sort of a channel up the middle. Abraham does it. And Abraham seems to know what's going on here. Now we perhaps don't looking back. What's going on here is God is preparing to make a covenant with Abraham. So if you are a king in the ancient world and you capture an enemy city and you are going to have them become a vassal state to you, so you will protect them and in turn they will give you money and, you know, whatever it is they produce, fish or, or meat or wool or whatever it might be, every year they'll have to pay you in order to protect them. Otherwise you'll just wipe them out. And what is what would go on in the ancient world is the king would come and say to his captured, the rulers of his captured city, 
We are going to cut animals in half, lay them across from one another, the parts across from each other. And we will walk between the pieces and make promises. I will promise to protect you. And you will promise to pay me for that protection. You will belong to us now. But we have a responsibility over you. And if we break this promise, if you break this promise or I break this promise, let what has happened to these animals happen to me. We will be slaughtered and split apart. We will be utterly destroyed. And, and so Abraham recognizes that God is, is, is treating him as a king would treat a, a, a vassal, a vassal state, a vassal city. But what happens? Abraham prepares the animals, but Abraham never walks between the pieces of the animals. God sort of envisioned here, this is a vision, remember, God envisioned here as a flaming torch and a pot filled with fire like an oven. He passes between the pieces, but Abraham doesn't. So what on earth is going on and how should this encourage Abraham to trust in God? Well, what we recognize here is God saying, I'm making an agreement with you. You will behave in a certain way and I will behave in a certain way. And as a result, our covenant will endure. I will save you. I will deliver on all of these promises to you and and, and you will live in light of these promises. But in being the only one who goes through the pieces of the animals, God is saying the penalty will only fall on me. If this treaty, if this covenant is broken between you and me, then death will come, but I will be the one who dies the death in order for everything to be put right, in order for restitution to be made for the breaking of this covenant. Now, we recognize that as um, sinners, if we live a sinful life and we die in our sin, then we are dying as a result of sin. We are paying the price for that sin. But if we want restitution to be made, if we want that relationship to be restored where we are in covenant relationship with our God, someone must die and it isn't us. It's God. God dies. He's the only one who went through the pieces. And so we find Jesus comes and goes to the cross. God dies in order to make restitution, in order to make payment for the breaking of the covenant by us, not by him. It's the greatest sacrifice ever made. And so God dies. And what God is saying to Abraham here is if I have brought you all of this way, if I have blessed you in all of these ways, if I have begun to work out the promises to you, and yet you cannot see this one small final piece, look at the degree to which I am willing to promise to you that I will sacrifice myself if I don't carry out all of this to the end. And the point that Abraham is supposed to take from this is why would I make all of these promises go to this length if I'm not willing to see it all worked out? I, the God who made the universe, who made you and the planet that you stand on. And so it is for us today as Christians as we look back. 
If Jesus is willing to die for our breaking of God's covenant, what will stop him ensuring that we have life and thrive in this life, that his church will grow, his kingdom will expand, that you will be more holy even though you can't see it being worked out perhaps day to day, that he will save sinners, that he will transform the world, even in light of all these things that seem to be pushing against that. If he's gone to that length, why would he give up now? Everything else is tiny in comparison to the huge weight of that sacrifice. If Christ has died to take your place and to place your feet on a rock, on a solid foundation, and then set you off down a certain path in life where you will ultimately be fitted for heaven to serve God and worship him forever, why would he not finish the job that he started if the cost of starting you on that journey is more than keeping you on it to the very end? It makes no sense. And so when we look back at what God has done, and as Abraham looks at what God has done in that covenant that he cuts with him, he's supposed to see that God will go to any length to ensure these promises are worked out. It doesn't matter how hard things get, how difficult it is to see the future. God never promises to show Abraham the future, does he? But he expects in what he reveals that that should be enough so that whatever the future holds for Abraham, he will always go on trusting. The reason God doesn't reveal the future, I think, is quite clear. Because if we knew what the future would hold, we would always be looking out for it and trying to bring about that future in a way of our, in the manner of our understanding and not God's. And God simply isn't going to have that. God sits over the future, not us. It is for God alone to ordain the future, not us. So what he does is he enables us to trust in him so that whatever happens, we will carry on with him. And so as we've come uh, to the end of the, the chapter, verses 18 to 21, we find God marrying these two things together. We have this um, Trust in the promises of God, but also in seeing what God has already done being meshed together. And so in the first half of the chapter, Abraham is told by God that if I made the heavens, I can produce an heir for you. And Moses tells us Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. But then two verses later, we're told, Abraham asks God when it comes to the promise of a land for him to live in, to, to, to be a people under God, worshipping him. Uh, forever, he he says, how am I to know I'll possess it? For Abraham and for us, there is an intersection of doubt and of faith, as we noticed earlier. And at no point is there any expectation, though, that Abraham will stop journeying with God until all of this is resolved. The tension between, um, between all of these things are resolved. There is an expectation that Abraham will figure things out as he goes. He will be receiving what he knows about God on the one hand and will be receiving what he sees God doing on the other and will be expected to try and fit the two things together so he can live today with confidence. And so for us as a Christian people, we see what God says in his word. We are so much more blessed than Abraham to have the whole of scripture at our disposal and we see what God has said. We see the promises he has made. 
But we also see, on the other hand, what he has done for us in Jesus. And as we fit the two together, we begin to understand what he is doing in our day. Now, we might not ever understand it fully, but we can begin to figure things out such that we are able to get from today into tomorrow. One of the um, the things that really rammed this home for me recently was a discussion I had with someone. We were talking about the state of the church and this person was saying that they really struggled, that the church seems to be in such decline and surely Christ must be returning soon because the church is declining away and there will hardly be a church left if things are allowed to go on for, for much longer. And yet in our discussion, we reflected on the fact that the church in the southern hemisphere, particularly in Africa and Asia, is only really coming into its own as we speak. It has been planted and established a couple of hundreds of years ago, and yet we only find it coming into its strength now. It's in its relative infancy compared to the church, perhaps in the West, that has been around for many hundreds of years longer. So as we find ourselves in decline, we find the church in other parts of the world in the ascendancy, and there are vast billions of people still to reach with the gospel by these believers in the southern parts of the world, in the eastern parts of the world. And so as we hold these two things together, the promise of Christ that he will have his church flourish and cover the world, the promise of Christ that he will see sinners saved, the promises of God worked out in the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. This is the length he will go to. And we look at the reality of our world. We begin to see that perhaps God is not done with us. That God is still saving sinners. That his promises are still being worked out. And if it can be done in sub-Saharan Africa or in Asia, then it can be done in Livingston today. Because people are no harder or easier to save here than anywhere else in the world. It's all God's work. And so we trust and we obey. We live as if the promises of God are actually being worked out today because they are. And as we live in light of it, we see it come Uh, to, to fruition. We see it worked out and we are inspired and emboldened to go and live with ever greater faith as a result. Abraham could have confidence in God because of fitting these things together. Even when your children make a terrible mess, even when you fail, I will die to put it all right. It is all on me. Have faith in me. I will deliver these promises. And then look at what's going on around you. And you will see everywhere these promises being worked out in many, many small ways. If you come from that place of faith and trust, then all of a sudden you are able to see how God works and where God works all over the place. We trust in God not because we can see perfectly what he will do or why he has allowed certain things to happen, but because we have confidence that what he has already done guarantees the future he has promised. He has revealed it to us in his word. He has revealed it to us in the death of his son. And he reveals it to us every day in the way he works out his plans and purposes in our lives and in the lives of all of our brothers and sisters here and all over the world. So have confidence and courage. Trust and obey in the Lord. For he has revealed it all to you for his eternal glory. Amen. And as we come to the end of this time of worship, I want you to go in the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to know peace 
and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen.